and that's the that, that's the secret sauce of life like it's not that we provide polling and trivia or we provide chats and we provide gamification it's how we provide them where does it go it goes into your existing app it works with your existing systems that's the secret sauce hey everybody and welcome to a new episode of the Columbia University Sports Podcast what Joe and I like to call the cusp show i'm tom richardson and i'm joined today again two weeks in a row by my partner, Joe Favorito. What's up, Joe? Great, Tom. And for anyone who listens to this in order, we were very prophetic last week with Jeff Eisenman. Yes. So getting into that conversation that about long, the live PGA thing. Yeah. Before long, there would be a Qatari investment in sports, which we said last Thursday. And lo and behold, less than a week later, it happened. So Two weeks in a row of, of really interesting, provocative investments in our business. Last week, of course, was, um, well, last pod, I should say, it happened a couple weeks ago, was the announcement about uh, the, I guess they described it as a merger between Live and PGA Tour and what that will mean. And now um, I understand, Joe, we mentioned this before we started recording, they will be going to Washington in a couple of weeks, July 11th, Jay Monahan, uh, the chairman whose name alludes to me right now, and Greg Norman will be speaking to, I think, the DOJ or one of one of the official governmental groups or Congress folk. Uh, anyway, we'll see. But then a big announcement came just yet. Was it yesterday? Jay? I know you. I know you've worked with this company, but yeah, Monumental is, um, Sports and Entertainment. Yeah, today's Friday. Today's Friday so I think it happened. Yeah, like well, yesterday. It, it hasn't before. been announced yet. It actually was. Well, the news is out. If you just Google yes. it, there's a zillion stories on it. But anyway, what we're referring to, guys, is the announcement that. For the first time in team sports history in the U.S., uh, a sovereign wealth fund, I guess that's what you'd call it. In this case, the Qatari Investment Authority, the QIA, is making an investment in monumental sports and entertainment, which many of you know is Ted Leonsis' business in Washington, D.C., and allegedly it's going to be a 5% stake. Um, but all I can say, Joe, after these two story, consecutive stories is let the games begin. And, and next week, the Kuwaitis will buy the Savannah Bananas. That will be my next prediction. <laughs> well, <laughs> hey, I, I saw that story the other day, the Savannah Bananas and how well they're doing. I mean, it's yeah. really an amazing success story. So you, yeah. you would think at some point, maybe they would get outside investment and really uh, scale it up. But oh, right. man, never That's boring in this biz, huh? No, it is Every never. An so, exciting so story. One, one of the quick notes, when you think about monumental sports and entertainment, first time in like 15 years, the Capitals and the... Uh, the Wizards didn't make the playoffs. Since then, new hockey coach, totally reorganized basketball side, relaunched their sports network, uh, Kuwaiti investment, you know, had Chris Paul for 35 seconds, traded him away. Uh, so never a slow day in uh, in the, the One Nation's capital with Ted Zaglianzas. So. Anyway. Yeah, no, I mean, I, look, they, they've been innovators from the beginning and um, everybody watches what Ted does yep. because he's, done, he's made so many good moves in this business. But let's get into our show. We're really thrilled about our guests today. Um, some of you, maybe many of you listening, actually uh, know our guest from, he's a, a New York-based guy at working in sports and, and tech, and uh, he's been to the campus. Um, I'm really pleased to say he's been in my classroom. and. Um, He's been involved a little bit with NYBC Sports. In fact, I believe the was it the one of the the last event that we had in person at his office. Yeah. So right. I guess this is we can start with the trivia question here. Like, can anybody name 
who we have. Uh, but anyway, <sighs> we have Mahira. And Mahira, I just realized as I'm looking at your last name, I've never actually pronounced this out loud. So I hope I don't mess it up. <laughs> um, Vala Valkar? That's that not close? bad. Yeah, that's pretty okay. good. Yeah, so, it's phonetic. I, I let let's uh but for, for all of you listening, um Mahir uh is fine. And yes. Mahir um is one of the true pioneers in the business really reimagining what fan engagement as it relates to technology and digital experiences uh is uh is really uh changing the, the face of sports marketing and sports media. He is the co-founder and CEO of LiveLike, a company of many of you know, many people have probably worked with by this point because they've been in business for almost eight years. He has a really fascinating background in both technology and finance. Um, I believe you grew up in India, went to University of Mumbai. Right. Yes. Yep. And then you came over to the US for graduate school, I believe. Uh, so, anyway, rather than me try to tell your story, why don't, yeah. why don't you just spend a, a minute or two on on the backstory and kind of what led you to to New York and this business and your interest in this particular part of the industry? Absolutely, and thank you for having me, both Tom and Joe. Um, always fun to chat, so I'm excited to to see what comes out in the next 30, 45 minutes. I don't know actually how long the podcast mm -hmm. lasts, but um, yeah. So just a little bit of a background. I grew up in India, as you said. Uh, finished my undergrad back there, University of Mumbai. And came to the U.S., attended Georgia Tech, uh, finished my master's in engineering over there. Um, I have been in the U.S. pretty much ever since, except for a few years in between when I went back to India to, to start an education technology company. But, uh, you know, spent a few years in investment banking in New York, uh, both on the investment banking M&A side, as well as on the prop trading side in, uh, in the internal hedge fund at Royal Bank of Canada. Um, but in the, yeah, for the past decade or so now, have been involved in sports in some capacity. First, um, through a um, startup in so soccer-focused startup in Paris, and then since 2015 now um, with Live Like. So it's definitely been. I, I don't remember what life was like before I was involved in sports, but have, sports has always been a part of the part of the story, whether as a fan or as a or as an athlete or um, now in the business. But there must have been an impetus to leave the, the world of finance and pivot into entrepreneurship in the tech market. What what, what was the impetus, as you recall, even though it's Foolish a while this. back? Yeah, <laughs> yeah it, was, it, it wasn't actually as clear cut as this is I want to be an entrepreneur. I, uh, you know, I was um, I had spent a few years in banking or in finance in New York. I wanted to spend some time back home in India with the family. Um, so I was actually just planning to go back. I was planning to go to business school a few months later. So I was like, let me go back to India for a few months, six, seven months, spend time at home, travel the world. Um, so I did a backpack tour across Europe um, in, in summer 2012. But at that time, uh, as I was moving back to India, a friend of mine, um, you know, he was starting or he had sort of established a project. At that time, it was really just a project uh, in uh, in the social enterprise as a social enterprise in the education technology space and i was supporting him from afar for a while and you know when i was moving back to india i was like why don't i actually take the concept and do this as a full time thing in india let me establish an india arm for this uh, i think there's a lot of potential especially with the low income schools and and um, bringing technology using technology to bring education to uh, low income schools and underprivileged underprivileged children in india um, that took off actually um, quicker than anyone thought. And it, I almost basically ended up, 
an accidental entrepreneur in a way. Like I wasn't thinking about being in a startup or starting something. It was more supporting a friend in his journey. Mm-hmm. Um, and it ended up becoming really fun. Um, you know, come being your own boss, uh, coming up with your own plans and, uh, you know, strategies and executing on it and seeing the results firsthand, um, not having anyone above you to actually tell you what to do, but also really double check what you're doing and, and have a backstop against it. The buck stops with you, so to speak. So that actually ended up being really fun. And from that point on, um, you know, uh, a buddy of mine from banking who used to be, uh, you know, we were both in investment banking uh, at RBC and he knew how much of a sports fan I was. We, we bonded a lot over our, our love for Roger Federer and European football, um, soccer, I guess, whatever. And, you know, he was saying to me that, you know, the company that he had co-founded and funded, he was like, I want you to take over um, from a, you know, grow the, grow the business globally. Um, and that is really how I got into sports. Really, it was it was through his introduction, Charles. Um, from and then obviously since that point on, it's one thing after another, right? Like uh, VR was picking up, uh, as you guys remember, we had the same Vision Pro moment in 2014 with with Oculus, mm-hmm. um, and we before, really before Meta owned them, yeah, Tom or Lucky, before right? exactly yeah. it was Oculus that was really um, the impetus for. Right what we are doing, where we started doing. And obviously Facebook acquired Oculus around that same time. And it, it just added gasoline um, to the fire. And that's how we really got started Like was basically this idea that, hey, all of us as fans, um, and you, you've seen it, you've, you've, you know, you've class, uh, in your classroom, I saw fans from all around the world, like students from all around the world. And we've watched sports from afar for a long time, right? Like maybe cricket was local to me, but NBA, tennis, Formula One, all of these sports that I grew up watching, loving, uh, and being a fan of Tour de France, they were all, um, we were watching from afar. And how could we make, how could we bring the fan closer to the stadium, closer to the venue, closer to the action? That's what virtual reality afforded. And that's what we started building uh, the company on the basis of. We said, let's let's try to see if we can bring fans closer to the action but more importantly with friends that was a key part of it as well we were all like talking to each other the social aspect i mean truth be told virtual reality was a medium immersive was means to an end the the whole genesis was about this being a communal experience watch Mm -hmm. with friends not it was never watch as if you're courtside it was watch as if you're there with your friends that was the whole idea and that's persisted even through a live likes journey, even after we um, sold our VR business um, and tried. And now the focus is more, how do we get our partners to make their existing experiences more communal, more engaging, more gamified? Mahir, in, in the time from when you guys came up with the idea through the launch to today, two pieces of it. One is what surprised you the most on a positive side of how quickly this grew? And what, what was your biggest frustration? Uh, on the positive side, I, I was, you know, look from a selfish personal standpoint, I think the amount of doors that were opened because of the, the hype in VR at that time, like, you know, within 12 months of never having worked in the industry to now suddenly being with the likes of David Stern and Vino from CA and having um, the Dodgers and courtside and all of these guys invest in you. Um, 
traveling the world, but that's one thing, right? Like sports was, sports is universal. And, you know, a conversation in, in New York is no different than a conversation in Tokyo uh, or in Mumbai. And so it was really fun to see how quickly we were able to grow um, and, and build relationships um, because everyone was excited about the possibilities um, of VR. Obviously, market realities made some markets easier to deal with and some markets not as easy to deal with, but that's that's true for any industry anywhere. In terms of um, the frustration, I think it was just how, you know, taking it from an idea to a reality, the number of hurdles, you know, just the sports industry being so fragmented and so many competing stakeholders and um, legacy way of doing things, it was, it was hard to... You know, there were some people who were super innovative and um, and there was the decision-making structures were more simplified. So things moved quicker and then other organizations, bureaucracy took over and things were just super slow. And, you know, as entrepreneurs, as um, young startup guys backed by VC money, you always want to scale as quickly as possible. And it wasn't as easy um, just because the door was open didn't mean that it turned into a deal. Everything was, let me try something. It was... A, and, and this is a frustration in general with the sports industry. I think there was there was always a cheaper solution around the corner. It's still true. And, 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 and it has always been sort of a buyer's market where it was hard to really get the value of what we were doing across to people. And I think that's been the biggest learning as well. We don't want to work with people that don't see the value because it might be a short-term win, but in the long-term, it always ends up becoming a disappointment because people don't use it the right way. People don't value it the right way. And, and for us, identifying that was probably understanding where we spend our time and where we don't, because it was easy, right? We are chasing every deal. Everything is exciting. But where do we spend our efforts, especially as a small team with limited resources, was a key learning. Here, I think it would be really interesting to hear your assessment of, of what what happened over the last nine years or 10 years with VR? Because mm. there was so much promise. Maybe it was just hype, the hype yeah. cycle uh, uh, after Oculus launched, because uh, God knows they got a lot of coverage. And then there was yeah. the NBA doing the deal with NextVR, games being, quote, produced in VR. And I remember, Joe, talking about this in my digital media class, like in 2016, 17, like this is going to be around the corner. Yeah. Obviously, things got mucked up along, along the way. Can you just give a a brief assessment of really what we just witnessed. Yeah. Um, By the way, and just before that, I do have my 3D glasses downstairs for my TV. <laughs> the ones, wait, wait, the ones you put your iPhone into, Joe? Yeah, the one, <laughs> no, my, my ES, I actually put my ESPN phone into it. Right. ESPN okay. phone, perfect, there we go. Right. Um, I, you know, in a nutshell, I think the hardware never really caught up to the promise. Um, and I think to a certain extent, the OEM market um, never really nurtured the industry. You know, in a way, if you think about it, whether it's the iPhone um, or Android, right? Like the OEM subsidized, funded the ecosystem to begin with, right? And there was incentives for developers to mm -hmm. build. There were incentives for partners to build in there it just ended up being like, we were always trying to find, because, you know, look, virtual reality, immersive production, producing in live sports, building software for a new device. These are all expensive endeavors. They are not cheap 
like you have to invest in R&D, you have to invest in CapEx and production equipment, you're traveling logistics, people are flying all over the world. These are not established workflows that have achieved scale and efficiencies that linear and television broadcast workflows have achieved. So it costs real money to create content and the appetite from the pioneering or the innovative broadcasters or media rights holders to invest in that content creation wasn't justified with consumption on the other side. And so until you don't have enough people with headsets and consumption, the only way to short circuit that process is by the people with the biggest incentive, which is the OEMs in this situation, the hardware manufacturers, to subsidize that. And we just didn't see that at all. From I mean, maybe to a certain extent, Oculus was doing something or Facebook was doing something. I refuse to call it meta. Um, <laughs> um, it's, you know, but it wasn't enough. And, you know, HTC pulled back, Sony PlayStation VR pulled back. Mm-hmm. Um, the hype cycle went so far beyond what the reality was. The perception started souring at the same time. So for us, what was supposed to be our, you know, peak or our, our biggest shining moment when we live streamed the entire FIFA World Cup from Moscow, from Russia, 4K um, uh, in 17 countries, every single minute um, across 11 or 12 broadcast partners, basically ended up being the clip. It was, that's it. Like, I, we could already tell that no one was care, no one cared about what would come after the World Cup. It was a one and done a marketing exercise, and we were like, "Where is what? What's going to happen after this? We can't wait for the next four years or maybe the next two years with the Olympics for that for that purpose." But what after that? Who funds this? How do we create? Like it costs tens of thousands of dollars to produce every match. If you don't produce every match, then it becomes another problem. There's even if there's demand, there's not enough supply. So. You know, all the laws of economics that 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 you can think about in terms of, you know, whether you talk about innovation cycle and hype cycle and supply demand and, uh, you know, scale efficiencies, nothing went right. So yeah. in the last four years, there are only a couple of partners that have continued to do it. And that's probably because they were sponsored deals like NBA and Facebook. Um, I'm trying to think who else even did anything in VR over the last two or three years. But, and I suppose everyone was just waiting for Apple to come in and and fix it in a way. And I don't know how possible that's going to be. I mean, you know, you asked me in the beginning, right? Like, I don't know if you want to jump into it right now, but that's what I, the I, last you know, let's, nine years let's, have been. Let's hold off on that because I think it would be yeah. uh, helpful for everybody listening and understanding, you know, what you're doing now with Live Like is that, so obviously yeah. you, you read the market. That was a great assessment uh, over you, by the way, very helpful. Um, yeah. You made a decision to, I think you referred to selling that part of the live like business. Talk about that and then how you re-strategized with your investors and partners to reinvent live like recently, fairly recently. Well, so actually what happened is we, it sort of happened in parallel. So at the end of that World Cup where we, in 2018, when we realized that people were just not, we had already started seeing it. So we had started working on what happens outside of VR, like what if we de-emphasize the video, which is where all the CapEx investments, the logistics, the cost of production, all of that came into play. Every single partner of ours was excited about the experience. We want the community. We want the engagement. We want the the fun aspect of it all, right? 
but but we were doing it in a white label way in apps that sat alongside their core apps right so marketers cared about it because they had brand equity they could sell sponsorship they could have a press release but the digital and product teams didn't care about it because they were not actually their apps their apps were some other apps right. and so everyone was saying like hey help us make our existing apps better so that's when we said okay how about we build our product like you know when you build it's one thing to build for yourself is spaghetti core you can fix it it's another thing to to take that and make it available and open it for others to build using that and so we went back completely to the drawing board and we're like okay the part that people enjoy are the engagement the gamification the community how about we build components and lego blocks that others can use and build and make their existing apps or new apps that they might build better so that was the idea we started working on that concept late 2018 early 2019 we got accepted into like this uefa innovation hub uefa started becoming our first customer turner sports said hey we want to try this out for march madness this is really interesting we want to social create a social experience around our bracket challenge game that was how it started um so we already were seeing the market's shift in a way where more and more people were excited about the new product than than the existing which was the virtual reality it was almost like at maturity and so we put pretty much our entire r&d focus into the new product and the vr business was you know cash flow positive but on a very low cost basis right so when the opportunity came with covid um it was not actually supposed to be that way um there was a there was a buyer that was in, there was a company that was interested in investing in the business in eventually we said you know what instead of you guys invest in this business how about we spin out the vr proportion and you use it because then you know also from a now i'm thinking about it more as a ceo rather than a entrepreneur like the team that had worked hard on vr and that was excited about vr they were sort of stagnating they're like you know we're we're in maintenance mode we're not investing in r&d we're not buying new 4k 8k equipment um this buyer basically said hey we want your entire team we'll we'll give them new contracts and we'll invest in r&d for the future of vr because they had a bigger differentiated play it was not just about virtual reality it was about immersive the media the immersive medium as a whole and so we basically gave them the technology and said you know what along with the tech you also get the team and that's been a successful partnership in a way for them because the team is still there intact they're excited about what we're doing and we were able to use the proceeds from that sale and invest in uh, r&d for the new business which was in its infancy but we were supporting a prep stack that was for a fundamentally different business in virtual reality so so um really briefly I i'm sure it's a much longer discussion but you go to your investors and say hey guys remember that business that you guys invested in well we're not doing that anymore but here's the idea how did yeah. you do that how did you do that how did you pivot to convince them that this was the right thing to do i think one advantage i've had is most of our investors um ended up becoming friends right the the relationship morphed from a investor and company perspective into being more you know sort of same hanging being in the same circles um them understanding what we were trying to do we always had reasons right like it's not like we were just saying hey we 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 had one idea and now we have another idea that we have cooked up it was coming from market feedback so we were providing that feedback we were talking about how others in the space like delta tray and sport radar also want to work with us on this like they want to this 
they, they are interested in partnering with us if we build out functionalities like these because the market is so while virtual reality was more of a like the social vr experience was more of a idea this was more rooted in market fundamentals and and yes it still takes time for you to grow any any enterprise SaaS business but um and look not everyone got it but not everyone needs to get it only the ones that really have a say need to get it right like that's the board that's the largest investors and um you know having people like david stern or evolution media validate what you're doing and say you know what i see it let's give it a shot um it's not ideal no one but you know no one saw the demise of vr in 2016 either so um they they appreciated the hustle they appreciated the tenacity and they appreciated the the resourcefulness so um, i think it it I, you know sometimes you can just paint it with a broad stroke but um I'm sure it was not easy, as easy as I'm talking about it right now, but I don't remember the, the tough part of it. That's good. That's good question. <laughs> so good here, like the, the pitch of the new, the new and let's say improved live like is pretty simple, straightforward on your website and your LinkedIn profiles and things like that. Basically deepening fan engagement, providing uh, improving retention rates, uh, offering yeah. new monetization opportunities. It's hard for anybody in the business to think that would be a hard pitch to get. In other words, like everybody's going to hear that promise and say, yeah, come on in. I want to meet you. How is the the promise of what you can offer translating to to the actual closing of deals and, and the development of, of relationships that go beyond a one and done? It's if there's one thing I've learned, it's, it's never as easy as it as you exactly. imagine. I, I figured that would be part of your answer. <laughs> but but uh, look, I think one thing is for certain we have we have the credibility in the market like even in the vr space livelike always delivered on its promises i don't think there's any customer of ours who would say that was a bad experience for us or these guys over promised and under delivered i think we always over promised and worked hard to deliver for so that credibility went a long way because people saw us as pioneers as innovators as thought leaders as someone they can trust so that helped a lot. My co-founder, a, a huge uh, part of that is also because my co-founder, who's the chief commercial officer and Samuel Westberg, he's based out of Paris. We've sort of operated on autopilot. I'm doing, I'm, I handle North America you, um, um, and in Asia, he handles Europe and then we share UK responsibilities in a way. So we have all of these relationships and they, they both, va everyone values both of us and what we bring to the table to a certain extent. Um, so, that credibility went a long way in at least getting the conversation and people were sort of asking for it. We already identified gaps. I mean, I actually remember one board meeting where the board was like, this is perfect. Why weren't we doing this since the beginning? Like they, we showed them a prototype of what we want to do this like Twitch like experience with a mix of HQ trivia and Reddit in there. And like all of they're like, this is amazing. I can see myself using this unlike the VR headset. And I was like, if anyone asks you, why weren't live like doing it? That is actually the secret sauce. It's from market feedback. It's the work we have put in for the last four years, talking to hundreds of people who are going to be the ultimate buyers for this product and customers, I mean, clients of ours currently. It's that feedback that actually went into building this. We could not have built this from scratch. We, the product is, the architecture is architected. The product design is so tailored to the gaps that exist in the market. 
And that's the that, that's the secret sauce of life. Like it's not that we provide polling and trivia or we provide chats and we provide gamification. It's how we provide them. Where does it go? It goes into your existing app. It works with your existing systems. That's the secret sauce. Joe, I'm I'm just actually it, it just occurred to me that after the COVID um, lockdown started in the spring of 20, and we at NYBC Sports kind of panicked about our inability to host live events, Jeff was instrumental in pivoting our platform to live like. Do you remember this? Yeah. And Mihir, that's when I first met you. Because I remember Jeff dragging me into the back end of the live like tool to actually ask, like, (laughs) I I don't know, I forget what I was doing, asking questions or putting up polls or something like that. Yeah. So I'm sure you got, I I think Joe was asked to be, and I think Joe was smart enough maybe not to to, to volunteer to do it. Um, But Mihir, that was obviously a small, a small, really small example of what you're talking about, basically taking what was a pretty simple, straightforward event and just jazzing it up a little bit with new features that we previously hadn't been able to do because of the platform we were on or we actually weren't uh, virtual, but, um, and and so as a a follow-up question then, as, as you build this business and continue the, 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 the biz dev. Yeah as you see this kind of shaky ground below us in terms of the platforms, um, concern about certain social media businesses, um, a a lot of mystery still around where we're going with NFTs and web three stuff, which you, which you've been a real thought leader on. Um, Mm -hmm. How do you see this evolving? And this maybe can be the bridge to talking a little bit about what Apple has in mind with vision pro but obviously, mm-hmm. I think one thing that I really appreciate about you, having gotten to know you a little bit and, and hearing you speak and reading your work, is that you really do have a, a very thoughtful uh, eye on the future, which I can't say mm-hmm. about everybody that I meet in this business. <laughs> so appreciate that. So, so you've so you've got to really think about like what Live Like will be doing in 2024 and 25 as the yeah. technology around us continues to evolve. Virtual pickleball. That's the answer to everything. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, good luck with that, Joe. It's bad, oh, enough, God. It's bad enough IRL. Yeah. Pickleball. I was going to say when you were talking about, um, uh, you know, Qatari and sovereign wealth funds and stuff, and I was like, let, let, I'm sure the pickleball guys are bringing this to them as a Ponzi scheme. Um, but uh, you can edit that or leave it in there. No, I want no, 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 my hatred for pickleball. No, it's authentic, rid- authentic it's conversation. You're, you're on the same team as all of us. Don't feel bad. Oh Sorry. my God. It's a ridiculous sport. Um, but anyway, my, um, for me, the, um, where the industry is going, look, I, I remember I was at a, I was on a panel with Abe from SBG at, at world Congress a couple of years ago. Um, and he was trying to do this rapid fire thing, you know, where he gets people on the spot, like for a right. session of the morning, get everyone jazzed up, like energize and wake up. Buy or sell uh, crypto. I said, buy, buy or sell NFTs. I said, sell. And, and it was a controversial opinion at that time, because in October, 2021, I believe, yeah, October 2021. It was like it hadn't even reached its peak, but it was flying high, right? Uh, yeah, it was and, constant, a barrage of crypto and uh, stuff. Yeah. And 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 if, if my trading experience tells me anything, you don't buy at its peak, right? So from my standpoint, you know, money you do. 
That's the yeah. Point. You know, yeah. buy low, sell high, rather than the, the other other way around. And I think so many people have gotten burned with that with that right now. In my mind, I'm a believer in the power of blockchain. I I truly believe it's a transformational um, concept. There's a lot of applications for it. Um, I have have we seen them yet? Probably not. Like there are some DeFi things. There are something related to governance. There are some there are some things related to storage and capital flow. There are there are a lot of applications where this makes a ton of sense, right? Um, I also believe that um, tokenization as a future of rewards is a powerful concept. Mm-hmm. The way it's been implemented, just like in VR, and that's the problem with the sports industry is. Sports becomes the guinea pig. Sports becomes the gold rush. Sports becomes where everyone thinks that that's the panacea for all of our ills, and this is going to solve all of our problems. And you know, media rights are peaking up. Cool, no worries. We'll just sell some NFTs and license that, and and it it just it it gets out of hand so quickly. Every new technology, it gets like there's like a three month period. Everything is in those three months, and then nothing after that, and that's hard. It's like a whiplash. Every no. two years, it's the same exact cycle. Um, and from my standpoint, I think uh, obviously there's a lot of regulatory stuff that has to that has that we have to deal with in terms of whether their securities or not. And like you know, hopefully that'll become clearer over the future. But can can the idea of transfer transfer ownership, uh, partial or fractional ownership, um, something that can be um, you know you know proving provenance, all of those concepts, fundamentally, I believe, I believe in those concepts, you know, as a loyalty member, as an airline, airline loyalty member, like if I were able to um, transfer my loyalty or a status to someone who I was not traveling with, and there was a way for the airline to make money from that, and in a secondary market, could that open up that market or that concept of lending your status for a day? That can be done through, like, that's really difficult to do without Web3, without the blockchain. It would take a lot of work, and I don't even know if it would work well um, to achieve that. Like, those are the types of use cases. Do we need Web3 for pure, pure, simple rewards? We don't. But can we build new use cases on top of Web3? That's where I actually see the value. Mm -hmm. But you need to build those use cases. That's where we're trying to think about, like, hey, what is LiveLike's role in Web3? LiveLike's role in Web3 is utility, token-gated experiences. Can our core functionality be tied or gated through to Web3 or through Web3? That's where we want to go. It's not about just, hey, let's let's give you minting capabilities. There are a dime a dozen minting capabilities out there. And eventually, infrastructure providers like AWS will make it common, commonplace on a commodity in any case. It's more the experience that you can have only with Web3 that we care about. And that's where we think about um, if you think about it from the metaverse concept or these worlds, virtual worlds concept, same thing, right? Like sandbox. Cool. I have a lot on sandbox. So what? I'm on Snoop Dogg's lot in sandbox. So what? What am I getting to engage with Snoop? Am I getting to do an ask me anything session with him? Can I become part of a community of other people who are in that on that land? Can I can I exchange something with them? Can I build something together with them? That that has to come from the experience. And no one thinks about the experience. 
everyone thinks about licensing tools that can allow you to build experience as a cost center. It needs to be looked at as a revenue generator, as a, you know, no one thinks about building, like how much it'll take to build a piece of short form video or long form video, because everyone knows how that gets monetized. Because in the experience economy, people don't know how, the, how to get that monetized. It's still seen as a cost center and you end up uh, in ridiculous back and forth negotiations where you're haggling over tens of thousands of dollars because no one knows how to monetize it yet. Mm. And that's the biggest battle that we're fighting is changing that mindset. How do we appeal to the chief revenue officer, chief marketing officer, chief strategy officer, and not just be dealt, not just be dealing with someone who is managing a budget on the digital side? That's how much money I have. And we have to spend that much money. But like, yeah, but you're getting to build a lot more faster. Does that not matter? And that shift in mindset is what probably have spent in the last three or four years where we're now seeing more and more organizations putting RFPs out there, which means that they have done their research and they are actually or trying to do more research on what's the best tool. Like people will always ask, and I'm going long right now, but you know. Uh, no, it's, it's, it's a great yeah. answer. Um, yeah. What, what know, for, you, yeah, go ahead. F finish the thought. No, no, no. I was just going to finish the, the thought yeah. in the sense that, you know, Whenever people ask us, like, you know, you're, this is a crowded space. There are so many companies that are doing the same thing. And I'm like, what are they doing? What's yeah. the thing that you're talking about? Is it fan engagement? Yeah, fan engagement is a catch-all. I mean, Vision Pro is fan engagement. Generative AI tools with a browser plugin is a fan, is fan engagement. Watch parties is fan engagement. Um, uh, QR codes in Arena, POAPs is fan engagement. Everything is fan engagement. What are you specifically talking about? Do you actually see a tool? I had a meeting yesterday. I'm like, when you see my pitch and when you see whoever else you have, whose pitch you have seen, do you see the same thing? Okay, let's dive deeper into that. Are there tools that you see interconnected that unlock 25 different use cases for you with the credibility and the case studies and the use cases in the marketplace? If yes, let's talk about that. If no, then let's park the whole conversation of, is this a competitive space? I actually don't think it's that competitive a space once you actually know what you want to build. Right. And the more layers you peel in terms of looking under the hood and looking in terms of the infrastructure and product design and how you're handling data and how you're handling privacy and security and how we're handling customizability and extensibility, we look very different from what else is out there. But people need to get to the point where they actually are willing to do the research first. And that's been the journey we've been on the last two or three years is first evangelizing it, then proving out the concepts, then scaling. All right. So the follow-up to that has to be, Joe, about Apple. So the mm -hmm. Worldwide Developer Conference with the big announcement of Vision Pro was two and a half weeks ago. I watched it. Um, I watched mm -hmm. the Vision Pro part twice. And I've read a ton of articles about it, including from from my the guys that I follow, like Ben Thompson of Stratechery, Ben Evans. I love Ben Thompson. Yeah, yeah. I've just it's just really good. I, I just like to get different perspectives in it. And one one of the things that some of the guys pointed out was they didn't use the word metaverse once in the presentation. They didn't mm -hmm. even mm -hmm. use the initials AI in the presentation. I don't even mm -hmm. think they mentioned the words augmented reality or virtual reality per se, they might've yeah. made reference to it, but they, they, they that wasn't the pitch. They introduced, uh, they, they introduced a phrase that was new to a lot of people. I, I had heard it before, as you probably hadn't Joe, but the idea of spatial computing mm -hmm. and the spatial computing thing, I kind of had a little bit of an aha moment because I think most of us had been trained over the last few years because of meta and mm -hmm. Oculus 
to think of this as a VR business or VR game, or maybe some AR examples on Snapchat or something like that. But they, yeah. for me, they kind of helped me get my mind reset on how I should be thinking of this. And as you probably know, did you, by the way, Mahir, did you watch the actual announcement? Yeah. Yeah, figured. And it was interesting that they did a few sports examples. And as we know, with the way Apple does things, there are no coincidences. There's no randomness that was planned yeah. to emphasize yeah. sports. And basically, Joe, as you and I have discussed separately, it's the idea of the proverbial courtside seat in a virtual uh, or, you know, kind of immersive experience. Yeah. So I would love to get your take on that because it feels as though sports will be affected. It may take a few years, but, uh, and you know, I think, you know, my opinion about this in the class, but it feels like it's kind of an inevitability that there will be more immersive experiences that we can't really quite fully imagine it. I've not personally tried it yet. I'm, I'm dying to try it. Um, but do you think yeah. this is a moment in time that we'll be referring to, let's say five or 10 years from now as, as kind of the marker of when this really started to change? I would index more on the 10 years from now than five years from now, purely because of the realities of all, all the market realities that I talked about, the, the constraints, the, the, the fundamental laws of economics that are, that are going to make things harder. But like, you know, $3,500, it's going to launch one year from now, yeah. starting at $3,500. I'm sure there'll be a non-pro device, which will be cheaper. Um, so it's going to be a limited user base. People still have to build on it. The experience will be perfected over time. Um, maybe Apple might subsidize it. Maybe Apple might, maybe Apple won't. Um, but the cost of development is not going to be cheap. Um, it's a new, it, mainly because I think it's such a fundamentally different device than anything else that's come out there. I mean, I, I read Ben Thompson's review on it and and the way he explained what they're doing was actually, it made sense. I'm not as bullish on the idea of virtual worlds as he is. Um, he seems to have, buy, he even bought into the whole Meta Horizons concept um, from a workplace productivity standpoint, obviously not from an everyday use case standpoint. Right. Um, but, you know, the idea of you're not, the way they are projecting images, I mean, only Apple can do that, right? It's genius. Like the idea of like using cameras to project your room around you in and using the idea of like the fact that your eye cannot distinguish between this frame and that frame and stuff like that. It's brilliant. So you don't feel like you're cordoned off from the rest of the world. Having said that, it's still a pretty clunky piece of equipment on your face. It's going to be uncomfortable after a certain point in time. So it's going to be socially awkward for a bit. You know, it's going to be weird if I'm sitting in my living room with 10 other people wearing that, like that's not going to happen. Right. So it does have some implications around that. And that's the other thing that, uh, you know, I, I read from the Brent, the Ben Thompson article, they are not positioning this as a social device. They're positioning this as a, as a different experience, but it's not meant to be social. Right. And so will this be something that is going to change the world of sports in the next, I don't know, but you know why? Because the reality of, who owns the rights for those courtside seats? And if you can buy courtside seats sitting at home and don't need to watch TV, will the broadcasters allow Golden State Warriors to actually make money from season tickets through your headset? Like, it's going to be small things like that that are going to be bigger hurdles than anything else. It's, it's who owns the rights? Will the NBA take a cut out of this? 
Will Golden State Warriors take a cut out of this? Will Apple buy the rights? Maybe Apple might have something in their agreement with the MLS that might allow them to sell tickets. But then does the team get a cut out of it? Because then you don't need to watch broadcast. If you can just sit at home and watch as if you're at the stadium, then you don't need to watch. So those are the realities that will take a few years to go through. Sorry, I, and Joe, I, I know you were going to say something. No, it's actually the last question I had on this topic, which is really interesting. Uh, not my question. Your answer is going to be interesting. Um, yeah. Like to have or must have of all the pieces of the things that you've talked about. Yeah. For a consumer, which now do you think are must have versus like to have? And yeah. which of all the things we've talked about you think will jump from like to have to must have in the next few years? You mean technologies? Technologies or, or fan enhancements? Anything. I mean, this is, uh, you can tell what, what my worldview is. Obviously, I'm biased, but anything that makes you a better fan. Right. And or rewards you for being a fan. So what goes, in, what goes in that bucket now? What, what would you put in that bucket if you, if you had to look at it today? Just one thing. As a fan. I'm asking you as a fan more than a developer. What do community. you must have? Community. Community is a must-have in my mind. That was the genesis of, the, of what we started 10 years ago. It's the idea of being there with someone or idea of being able to share that experience with someone. Now, can you have that shared experience with... Uh, through iMessage and WhatsApp, probably, right? Like I've had the same WhatsApp group from Formula One for 14 years now. And it's, we watch every race together, no matter where. We don't even know where everyone else is. It's only through conversation that we realize that, oh, someone's watching Greek telecast. Someone's watching a Italian telecast. So I think that, and you're seeing the power of community in, in what's happening with Reddit right now as well. So I think community is a must. I think, um, from a technology standpoint, I think uh, AI has the biggest, AI can make the biggest impact because it affects every facet of the world of sports or like broadcast or whatever. Like I'm thinking purely from a sports perspective, like it can change how you produce content. It can change how you distribute content. It can change how you consume content. Like there's a lot that it can do. I'm not talking about generative AI versus LLMs and regular, like I'm just talking about AI in general, machine learning AI in general. Um, everything else is nice to have in my mind. I, I would put like no one, I can't see this being at scale. Okay, every, all of my answers are caveat, like the caveat is I'm talking about at scale, right? Mm -hmm. Not for the power users or the, the innovators. Um, I don't see blockchain being a must have right now. There's nothing that I can, I, I need to do right now that I'm like, oh man, I cannot do it without the blockchain. Unless the use case, like I said, the idea of lending my status and that actually making a bigger impact for season ticket holders, being able to give their thing to someone else while still taking a piece of it and the team taking a piece out of it. That use case has to be cultivated before it becomes a must-have. Mm -hmm. um, I don't see Vision Pro being a must-have. Really, like I don't, there is not a single time when I'm watching a game and I'm like, oh man, I really wish I felt like I was in that stadium right now. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I, oh my God, if, if I were courtside, I would change, this would change the game for me. I don't feel that at all. Why? Because being courtside is more about the status, being seen on television, talking to the famous person who's next to you. It's never about the actual game. Have this was on a David Stern. I used to get some seats from David Stern for games. His commissioner seats were row five. 
where he could actually see the whole game. He could see the full court and he could see the play develop. Being courtside is more about the status. And if you're being courtside through a, gla- through a piece of equipment, that status not, is not coming to you. That's my thought. I don't know if it's con- from a consumer psychology standpoint. Yeah. Maybe, maybe it might be different for others. Mihir, you mentioned earlier in the conversation that the one way Apple was so successful, became so successful in the mobile marketplace was through these subsidies and incentives. Or just building out the investment in the developer ecosystem, essentially. Yes. Well, that's what I mean. Like getting the the development market um, uh, seated and and, and then just that no one would have predicted how big that would become as part of, you know, as kind of a driver of new business. But they they kind of did all the right things, and history obviously has shown that. It seems to me that with their interest in and now incursion into live sports rights, best illustrated with MLS, and I think you and I have talked about this, but I'd love just to get a little bit deeper. Wouldn't mm-hmm. you think that in any negotiation with another rights holder now or in the near future would include some sort of consideration? of how potential sports experiences in with spatial and vision pro to be, to be determined. Uh, and let's say a five-year deal, five years being 2028, it's yeah. gotta be part of the conversation because Apple is a very smart company. They, they know this isn't yeah, just yeah. going to happen willy nilly. They're going to have to yeah. drive it. And if they can yeah. use a big a multiple sports partnerships to do this and they're willing financially, which they can easily do as a $2.9 trillion yeah. company with all the free cash flow. If they yeah. can really develop the the marketplace through incentives and subsidies and partnerships. Yeah. And I'm I'm not trying to be too biased with my point of view. I, I do feel I, just, I guess the word I would say it feels like it's inevitable that it would go somewhere. And would that be yeah. 20, yeah. 28, 2030, 2035? I don't know. But um and I also, so that was part one, more of a uh, uh, kind of just a response. And number two is the idea of courtside. I think that's become kind of a catch-all phrase yeah. or, or word. Yeah. I guess the word I would use, which I know is sprinkled throughout your marketing materials and your website is just immersive. Like mm-hmm. it can be defined. One thing we've learned from the proliferation and the uh, eye-popping success of these sports docuseries that people yeah. love behind the scenes and yeah. to the extent. So I think about F1, I'm, I'm a drive to survive fan. And now yeah. an F1 fan. It sounds like you are. And well, if, I've, I've been for 25 years. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's good. Cause you're, you're yeah. uh, that, that would qualify you as, uh, as the friend that with the longest interest in F1 that I know, because <laughs> most people I know literally developed the last two years because of, uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but one of, one of the things that I think is most enjoyable with Drive to Survive is when they have these glamorous locations, best ones, Monte Carlo, Grand Prix. If, yeah. If I had the Vision a Vision Pro, or or it could be Oculus, you know, uh, um, Quest, um, and F1 offered me a chance to get like a, a really cool immersive experience of being in Monte Carlo, going in the paddock seeing the yeah. race at different angles. In other words, just, just not sitting in a quote courtside seat where all the VIPs yeah. are. That would be really appealing because I would love to get closer to the game. And I think that's what now the industry is kind of training people in 2D and in, in web two to kind yeah. of like really like this stuff, not just the actual live event. In fact, I would yeah. argue having watched a bunch of F1 races recently, 
Max Verstappen seems like he's going to win every race until yeah. he dies at this point. So it's not even that like last week he he had the he had the lead the entire race. It's not I can't say this about every race, but I've noticed this is my observation. Some of the live events are a lot less fun to watch than a drive to survive episode. So anyway, the point yeah. is, could something like that be in the future um, if Apple helps really push it? So there are a few things here, right? From a the first the first point that you made, inevitability. I think, yeah, you're right. Like you know, the rights to show something in immersive, I presume, will be part of every agreement. Just like all the linear broadcasters with streaming services eventually started putting in streaming rights as part mm -hmm. of their rights mm -hmm. agreement. So I yes, I think yeah. that. I think that'll make sense. And to a certain extent, unlike Facebook, Apple is getting into the rights game. And so bundling rights, bundling immersive rights as part of their streaming package makes sense. And they can they have the money, they have the the, the wherewithal, um, or the means rather, at least. I don't know if they have the wherewithal yet. But um, so yeah, that makes sense. Um I'm not yet sure on the demand or the consumer demand for it, but yes, the the strategy is there, right? They they have the right means no. to to execute on that strategy. Um, my point about whether this is a courtside seat and who gets the rights and who gets and who has the rights for you know in stadium seating versus broadcasts at home and stuff that was more related to if they tried to sell it as a a seat at the game. It doesn't understood. have to be a seat understood, at the game. Yeah, understood. Yeah, um, yeah. It can just be your watching. It could be a three day experience where you can watch the test, the qualifying, and the race, and and have Correct. access along the way. Yeah. Um, if to your second point, but the Formula One, I actually think I'd like to. You know, if I if there's any part of the Formula One weekend where I would wouldn't mind feel like I'm being transported to the venue, it's the grid walk. It's an hour before the race. Right. But usually you'll have Martin Brundle walking through and like mm -hmm. seeing all these different teams and whatever's going on there. And the celebrities walk in and stuff. Mm -hmm. It's more the voyeuristic aspect of, of everything. Like I would that's the only part where I was like, I it'll be cool if I can just walk through this right now. Mm -hmm. Um but how do you walk through that? That's not produce. That's not being produced, right? Like right. you can only experience what's being shown to you, right? Unless your this experience is giving you the idea where you can actually walk through that place, mm -hmm. which is a different thing altogether. Yeah. Um. Everything else that I see, the sights and sounds of Monaco. Will I pay extra for that? I'm not quite sure. Mm -hmm. um, can it be funded without getting me to be paid pay extra for it? Potentially, it can be experiential economy. It can be uh, it can be brands that that focus on the experience that might fund that. Wh whatever, mm -hmm. there there might be other ways to solve for that. It's not an unsolvable problem. But just from a demand perspective, like what use cases? And again, we talk about sports because it's just the most easy, the most thing that every everyone can relate to. I think there are far better use cases for Vision Pro. Mm -hmm. productivity being potentially one of them, training, remote training and learning being one of them, mm -hmm. something that can help you drive empathy, um, mm -hmm. you know, is, is one of them. Everything just starts becoming about sports. And now, obviously, in the case of Apple, like it's the X next VR team that that is key to all of their um, mm -hmm. NBA stuff. Right. So, of course, that's that's the first place you're going to you're going to default to. I just don't know if. I'd love to see what they if 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 challenged if the Apple executives themselves 
esports as the as the killer use case for Vision Pro, or it's the top of the funnel, so to speak. Sports is top of the funnel because you can get the most eyeballs and the most attention, and then right, and you have a bi- the and actual you have a use cases passion, are something else. You have a built-in passion base, which a lot of categories don't have. Yeah, um, exactly. And, that's what's nice. and and also it's it's also not a coincidence that they that he brought Bob Iger on stage. Yeah, uh, and and tease the idea of Disney with with all the assets they have getting into this. So Disney um, actually could be really fun. I think they yeah. have tons of assets, not just ESPN, but the parks and the experiences yeah. and, and the, the Marvel Star Universe World. and and Marvel and, and archive of Disney. I mean, yeah, it's it's an enormous amount of stuff. Yeah, I, I just I think it's going to be. Um, I, I just think it's so interesting because we when we when we realized a couple of years ago particularly with Amazon making the first aggressive moves of getting in. It's like game on right now for big tech, which is disrupting these traditional deals. And the idea of getting rights to be defined or immersive experience rights or whatever they're going to be called in the contracts does feel like an inevitability. And then if it's a business, and I will point out the NBA, which I know you know well and I've worked with a lot, they've always been in a first mover position yeah absolutely new technology and um it wouldn't surprise me to see in the next deal that maybe they renew with disney and turner but lo and behold they've worked out a major multi-billion dollar deal with apple and part of that would be getting going deep on vision pro again not not for like some hot consumer product in 2024 but like over the course of a five or seven year deal I see that. I can yeah. definitely see that. Yeah. 100%. Right. Yeah. Um and I think the sport lends itself to it, you know, the the the, the stadium is small enough, the the mm-hmm. experiences yeah. are It's manageable contained. for the production part of it, yeah. Correct. Right. Correct. Yeah. Um I can definitely see that. Uh and and by the way, I have a strong opinion about it. Obviously, there is no right or wrong answer. It's all subjective. No, that's all. It's like, a, it's an intellectual exercise at this point to think correct, about where it correct. could go. And and, and I know I'm that, sure yeah. I could. Right. I was wrong once when I believed in it. I could be wrong again when I don't believe in it. So <laughs> who knows? I, yeah. Right. But, and, uh, those, and those will eventually find a middle ground here, and you'll and you'll be perfect. <laughs> exactly. It'll be, right. I'll be right place at the right time. I'm conscious of all the time you've given us. Uh, you've been so generous, but we we like to ask all of our guests two final questions briefly. Uh, yeah. uh, the first is, how do you keep up? How do you stay smart? If you want to name some newsletters you read or podcasts you listen to or writers that you admire, whatever, just how, how do you how do you stay on top of things? Ben Thompson, that's it. Okay. That's the ben, only must read. I recommend him in my class. Nice. Yep. I I have. Do you actually pay the I, subscription for the full access? One hundred percent. Absolutely. Yeah. Best, best deal right. that I, best, best subscription service that I have on. And a list. good business for him, which he's written about how he's got yeah, one niche group of uh, people willing to pay. And he, he's making a nice living, living, I think in Thailand, maybe well, Thailand. It's yeah. it, no, no, Taiwan. Yeah. Taiwan, um, it's phenomenal. I've learned yeah. a lot. And, you know, to a certain extent, I've now gotten to a point where I disagree with some of his, which is, yeah. which is what I'm proud of, which, which is, is I'm a like, good okay, sign. you know what I'm and that's being more sign, discerning. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 So, uh, yeah, Ben Thompson for sure. Do you? I just out of curiosity, do do you follow any of the Chris Dixon stuff and the Andreessen Horowitz because they've been so big on Web three and meta, and uh, crypto and stuff? Yeah. No. I mean, look. Um, when I was trying to get myself educated on Web three, A sixteen Z was the the go to source for the primers right. on it. 
Yeah. They, I they don't read everything. They, they did a really nice job uh, pulling together all the primer information. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, you know, it's it's hard to take them seriously when you see some of the ridiculous investments that they're like. It right. just feels self-serving yeah. to a certain yeah. extent. But you know, here's the thing: um, those guys have enough weight and pull that they get reference, or their stuff gets referenced in other material that you read that you don't really feel the need to like actually like consume what they have to do. It's right. It, you know, there's only so much time in the day, and it's it's hard to really be theoretical and academic about a lot of things. Yes. Yeah. No, and I'm with you. I when I heard about the Adam Newman investment, I I was kind of stunned. Oh my god, it, it still it still mystifies me. So it does make. I mean, twice. it's not just that. I mean, it's 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 the flurry of Web three investments at right. obscene valuations. Sometimes yes. clear conflicts of interest and like Mistin Labs and Aptos Labs and Autograph and everyone doing it's everything everywhere all at once in Web three essentially. Yeah. Um, no, it's also it was interesting. Yeah. And you know what? It's interesting, especially for a guy like you who was kind of on the other side of the industry in, in uh, investment banking. Uh, it took me a while to kind of realize you got to really be mindful of the fact that a lot of these investment groups uh, and VCs, which really only entered the world of thought leadership in a, in a big, more scalable way over the last six, seven years, yeah. that they're kind of touting concepts, technologies, and gee, what a coincidence. It's always related to their, <laughs> their, yeah, their own investments. Yeah. And then they put out <laughs> the thought leadership to kind of make us think that this is going to, this is going to be the best thing. And, and I don't know, I had like a, a moment a couple of years ago. And it's like, wait a second, I'm reading this Chris Dixon stuff. And then I just read yesterday that they invested in the, the Acme crypto company that has since failed. And, but they're, uh, what is the anyway. Acme crypto company? I don't even know. <laughs> uh, it's yes, pray I'm, and pray it's at, its, at its finest. Yes, I know. Uh, anyway. Uh, so, um, okay. And the and second, the question, second is, question is, yeah. Yeah. Is what advice do you have for uh, people developing their careers, particularly young people? You know, you've met many of our students. Um, it's it's a very fraught time in business in general. There's been a lot of cutbacks in social and, and big companies. There's a lot of yeah stuff happening in the world of advertising and marketing. A lot of you know the disruption continues apace. It's not slowing down. So, what advice would you offer some young people just getting going? I would say validate your assumptions if you can. Uh, sometimes, you know, um, I've seen way too many times when startups come and especially in my space, and I'm just like, how is this going to become a big business? And not because I don't believe in the idea. It's because there are other similar ideas out there or the competitive dynamics or forces are not, are going to make it really hard. Um, uh, and, and just because something is a good idea doesn't mean it's a good business. So mm -hmm thinking through what it will take from an execution standpoint. That's a lesson I've learned the hard way, obviously. Right. right. Um, and I'm more circumspect uh, in that regard, like, you know, knowing, yeah, validating your assumptions and and um, taking a little bit more of a circumspect view on on things in general. That's good. Just a quick follow-up would be, what are, you, what are the most important soft skills you look for when you're hiring young people? Work ethic um passion um how do you but how do you how do you assess that when you're interviewing people I mean, beyond I beyond, beyond I a resume review or an initial conversation yeah i it's a good question um i'm not entirely sure we have mastered that um, it's hard it's it's a hard it's, thing to do yeah 
I think, you know, look to a certain extent, the way I think about it is if you like, there are people that I, that in my team that will not work beyond a certain time. And like physically, like I'm it, done at six o'clock or something. Correct. Yeah. Anything after that, don't, don't come to me. Really? But okay. they are so They've good obviously never they worked do. in a tech, a tech in the tech industry. No, but the, you know, you, you, they like, it's, it's almost like, when you know you are so good and that your nine to six is so productive that you can't really complain about what I don't do from six to nine. Right. It's, it's, it's a, it's, you get to that level, right? Like it's, yeah. a, it's a mastery in a way. Right. Um, it's like, you know, trading or banking, like if you're delivering and if you're driving deals, no one really counts the hours. Mm -hmm. um, they might be jealous because you're not putting in the hours, but if you're driving the deals, then, then no one complains about it. So, um, do they enjoy what they do or what they're talking about? Or is this just another job? Yeah. Um, is this more, more about sustenance or is this more about intellectual curiosity and, and genuinely enjoying what you're trying to do or achieving? Yeah. And that's, that, 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 that's something I think you can get in, in a conversation. Yeah, I think the, I think you make a good point about intellectual curiosity, which is something I always looked at when I was hiring, uh, yeah. which is to say, I, I'd ask in the early days of internet where people didn't have digital resumes when I was first involved, yeah. I would try to engage in some industry, kind of like this conversation. Just let's let's talk about something going on in the industry and kind of make it almost an open conversation about a new company that was yeah. so so I might say if, it, if I were doing this now, I might say, hey, I'm sure you're aware of Apple's developments with this new Vision Pro and this idea of spatial computing. What yeah. do you think the implications are in the sports business? Yeah. And you'll yeah. probably know within 60 seconds. Whether, the whether someone's actually thought about it or they're just kind of lost, you know. Or even have a point of view without having, like, right. what's your gut instinct? What's your intuition? Like, what do you think about it? Like, what are some of the factors that you think will impact it? Uh, exactly. Whether it's like yeah. the laws of economics or or consumer psychology or um, the hardware advances and adoption. Like, there are many things that can affect it. You may have a point of view on each of those. And that might bring you to the final conclusion, but and there's no right answer in any case. No, not at all. You just want to see that they're engaged, and, and to your point, they have yeah. that curiosity, and and they're actually thinking about the, the things in a way that's going to be productive for you and, and the company. Correct. A great Correct. answer. So thank you. All right. So lastly, how do how can people find you and um, and live like? Um, you know, our website is www.livelike.com. That's L-I-V-E-L-I-K-E.com. Um, we publish a lot of content, uh, whether it's thought leadership or uh, company updates on LinkedIn. So mm -hmm. that's that's probably the best place um, for anyone who wants to learn more about li what LiveLike is doing is LinkedIn. That's that's no. the one channel that we invest a lot into. Good. Okay. Well, thank you for that. And I urge everybody who is looking to deepen fan engagement, improve their yeah. retention rates, and find yes. new monetization opportunities to check out LiveLike. <laughs> Mahir, thanks so much. Thank uh, great, you for having me. Great combo. Always a pleasure to talk to you. And um, I hope to have you back at Columbia later in the year when we get into Absolutely. It would be my pleasure. So we, Thank you so much for out. having I me. I love that look at the future class that we did. It was one of my favorites. Um, yeah, absolutely. It was fun. So I want to also thank our producers, Pablo and Hernan, behind the scenes. Appreciate it, guys. And uh, everybody listening, thanks for... Uh, Thanks for listening. And if you have any thoughts about specific guests or topics, please reach out to me or Joe. Be happy to talk to you and, and think about your ideas. I'll talk about your ideas. Appreciate everybody listening and we'll see you in the next episode.